You're listening to the private podcast for The Matrix with Amber Smith. Recording. Um, So today we're talking about aligning with the affluent, which is basically like I could have called it this, um, seeing people in their power in in your in your business and seeing people as able to buy from you. I'm going to share some stories and just ways of thinking that have deeply served me. Um sometimes we do this where we put on the lens of what we can afford and what we think is okay to spend money on um and we limit ourselves based on what we believe about other people, right? Some people don't have our same thoughts. If we are in lack and limitation, we might be tempted to believe a lot of other people are. And that doesn't serve your business at all. And so one of the first things that I wanted to share, and I, I wrote this in the email to you guys, um, kind of like a little little outline of what we're going to talk about, is that you don't need to know how people will pay you. Um, and so there are three things that I think are really, I guess, four things that I'm going to share that I do think is important to believe. Um, so if you get caught up in like, how are they going to afford this? How are they going to pay this? You start to limit what you say in your marketing and who you talk to instead of believing in people and their ability to create money. So the three, the four, four things I added one more um, that you do need to believe in that that I think are really supportive of selling is the transformation that you provide. And this doesn't have to be like I help people lose twenty five pounds in five weeks. All of you guys create value, which is a transformation, right? You're here and you want to be here. Doesn't matter what you do, you're creating an experience for people to get what they want in life, right? And so the first thing that I'm going to, that I think is really important for everyone to understand is like your intent. And that's a very intangible thing. But sometimes we accidentally believe we are bad people or that like we might hurt someone. And I think even just making that conscious in your mind and declaring that you have good intentions for people is really important. Um, None of us want to hurt. And so if we, if we subconsciously believe, kind of what we talked about last week, or the difference between our conscious and subconscious thinking, right? If we subconsciously believe that we're going to hurt someone or that it's not going to, it's going to like maybe like ruin their family life or put pressure on them or stress, we're never going to sell um, our products or services. And so part of our, our work is to believe that we have good intent and that it's, it's beneficial for this person to work with us. Um, not that intent is the end all be all. I, I think that we have, there's other things which I'm going to go down this list. <laughs> it's not like, I want good things. I deserve your money. Like that's, that's, that's the beginning. Okay. That you have good intentions for the people who are going to work with you. You have good intentions for the people who are going to consume your products or your services. Um, the next one that we have to believe in is your skills. You're going to notice this is all you focus, right? When we set a price in the world and we say, this is what I'm doing. It's so easy to be like, I don't know how they're going to afford it. Everything that I'm sharing is to bring it back into the internal control, right? What we can't control. And so the skills, this looks like all the things that you've learned, all the books you've read, all the courses you've taken, um, all the people that you've interacted with, that you've coached, that you've mentored, that you've consulted, all the designs that you've done, anything that you've done in your life, right? That has contributed to your career up to this point, um, is worthwhile to think about when you're selling. Because like we said, we can't focus on how they're going to come up with the money, but we can focus on why you are awesome, <laughs> right? So we got your intent, we got your skill set, which I think the more valuable you become, right? The more skills you gain, the more experience you have. And actually that's number three is experience. The easier it is to be in a position of like, I know I can help, right? Um, and so that's number three is experience. So this is like looking at like what you've actually done in the field. And I think that this is helpful too, because sometimes, especially we're going to talk about divine fluctuations today. Um, Your business goes like this, right? No business is straight up. So it's easy in the dips to be like, something's gone wrong. I suck. (laughs) Right. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do is to have a process or a system of collected either testimonials or even just stories that you write down of people that you've impacted for good. Cause it's easy to forget those things for whatever reason, our brains are wired for negativity, right? Like that negativity bias is very real. So even if you've done so much good work in a moment of weakness or in a dip in your income or in a period of transition, it's so easy to judge that you're not doing good enough. That's when I like to look at my, I have like a little file in my Dropbox of like client testimonials, people who have shared their economic wins, but also like their personal family wins. 
Um, because my brain is, it's so easy to be like, no one cares. I suck. It's, it's going to fail, <laughs> right? Our brain will do that. And so asking, um, your brain to look at something different is really helpful. Cause like we talked about, we can't, we can't make people want to pay, pay us, but we can believe in what we do and we can believe in the value that we bring. And so one of the ways that we can do that is by looking at all the, the testimonials or the experiences that you've done. When we have a hard time selling that one of the things that I like to um, challenge you guys to think about is sometimes it's like a, a mindset thought work thing. And then sometimes it's like a standard thing. Um, I think Brett, uh, Brendan Burchard has this quote that's like self-doubt inform. I can't remember exactly the quote, but basically, if you guys know the quote, put it in the chat. But he's basically talking about when you doubt, it's like you can improve your skill set. And what I love about that is it puts, puts the ball back in your court of like, what do I need to develop? When I was brand new, it was for sure marketing. Like I hadn't, I had never been introduced to marketing. And so instead of beating myself up and being like, I just don't believe hard enough, I got to work developing my marketing skills. And that was really beneficial to me. And so I'm going to repeat those things, those three things that I shared. Um, instead of focusing on how people are going to pay you, focus on your intent, focus on your skills and focus on your experience. And then the overarching one is focus on the transformation that you can provide um, because that's what you're bringing to the table. That's what people are buying, right? They're not necessarily buying um, this like vague, intangible thing. They're buying the transformation they get when they work with you. And so focusing on what you can control allows you to stop getting lost in, can they afford this? Is this good for them? Is this not like, no, this is what I bring to the table. This is what I have to offer. And it's good. That declaration, this is good. Um, the other belief that I have is that people can create the money to work with me. And that's been, I've seen a lot of evidence of that in, in unique ways. I have two crazy stories. So for my one-on-one, -on -one, it's, it's, it's decently expensive, right? Like it's a commitment, it's an investment. And I, because I have this belief that people can create money and I hope you adopt this belief. If you take anything away from this call, believe that people can create money, believe in their power to create money, to work with you. Um, I've had clients sell thousands of dollars worth of Bitcoin, a boat. Um, I've had people pull money out of retirement and things like that, because I believe in the value that, that I bring. And that's something that I think kind of like that standard versus thought work you have to believe in yourself to be able to deliver a transformation that's worth that to them and to you, right? That you would feel really good about that sale. Um, and so the next question that I was talking about, I don't know if anyone is on the, oh, Kim, you're in the miracle mind. We were just talking about this in the miracle mind of like the idea, are you worth going into debt for? And that is a very loaded question, <laughs> right? Um, and I learned this from Grant Cardone. He's like, you have to believe in your core. If you're going to ask for people's money that you are worth going into debt for one, it makes you think better. How can I deliver more value? How can I be more available for my clients? How can I create processes or trainings or support for them to actually get the result that they're paying for? Right. Because some people will go into debt for our products and our services. We don't, we can't stop that. That's their decision. And that's why I really want to do some cleaning up on what we think about debt. Um, because I, I learned this from Amanda Francis. I love her definition of debt. Debt is a choice to pay something off over time. So neutral. I'm going to say it again because <laughs> this like blew my mind because in our culture, right? Like debt is so bad. That is evil. All these things. And she's like, debt is just a choice to pay for something over time. And so when we choose to go into debt or when, when our clients choose to go into debt to work with us or to buy our products or whatever, it's their choice to pay it off over time. And as long as you believe in what you do, you believe in the transformation, you believe in your intent, you believe in your skill set and your experience, like we talked about, that's okay. Do you believe in yourself enough that you would allow someone to do that? Right. There's been times in my business that going into debt has deeply served me. Um, before I was making the amount of money, I went into debt for programs and coaches. Like that was a personal choice. I'm not saying that that's what everyone has to do. Um, but it deeply served me to pay it off over time. Right. Some people are very anti-debt and that's okay. I think reducing how we judge it and more so making it personal. Does this serve me or not allows you to be neutral. And it also allows you to coach or work through the sales process with your clients way more powerfully, because that is a decision that can deeply serve them, right? There's times in their life where that, were deep, where that decision will deeply serve them. And if you don't believe in it, you will sabotage the sales process 
um, we kind of talked about like the fire install the fire alarm installer, right? We're like, oh, you can't afford this. I'm not going to sell to you. I'm going to hold my punches. I'm not going to actually tell you that you need this, that this is good for you and your family. I'm going to hold it back when it could actually really serve someone, right? And this is more along the lines of like a higher ticket service. And so for a lot of you guys, I know that you do have high ticket services. Do you believe it in enough that if they went to, into debt to work with you, you would be okay? And if you don't, one, can we increase your skills and experience so that you do feel good about it? Or do we need to up your belief so that you're like, no, I am, I am that at that level. I can provide an amazing transformation. This is good for them. This will ultimately serve their life. Right. And then I can let go of how I don't need to know how they're going to, they're going to pay to work with me. I believe in what I have to offer and they're powerful people able to make this decision and able to get the most out of our time together. Um, the next thing that I wanted to talk about is the pricing strategies, because this kind of lends itself into this next phase of aligning with the affluent is there's no competitive advantage to being the cheapest. And for a lot of you guys, it's easy to commoditize our business, right? When we look around and see other people doing what we do, it can feel like you're not special. And so this takes some deep thinking. I want you, like, I hope that you guys take this today and think like, how am I different? A lot of marketers call this like a unique sell sales proposition or value proposition. There's, they're, they're, they're a little different, but you probably have heard of these before, which is like, what makes you different? And you don't want to be different in the cheapest because the way that we have to think about our businesses are very different than like a Walmart, right? We don't want to be in a race to be the cheapest because that's a race to the bottom, right? Who can be the cheapest? All of a sudden your business model is not working. And so we don't want to compete on price. We want to compete on value and uniqueness, which all of you guys are so unique and have so much value. Do you let yourself see it? And more importantly, do you talk about it? Do you let people see that you are unique and different and have a lot of value to add? A lot of us, I think we tend to have the bias of like, I'm not that different, Amber, actually. <laughs> I am a commodity. <laughs> and I would challenge that line of thinking because one, you aren't like, there's no one like you on this planet. And two, it does not serve your business to think you're just like everyone else. And so it's a different way of thinking that you have to train your mind to see what is your competitive advantage. Some of mine are very intangible, like how much I care. I, I think that people can feel that, um, that I don't think that money's the end all be all, but I do believe that it's fun to make and that you should make it right. I think there's some unique things that you guys see in my marketing. What is yours? So spend some time thinking about that. What, besides price, right? We don't want to compete on price. What makes you the re like an amazing reason to buy? Is it your values? Is it your approach? Is it your process? Is it the amount of resources? Is it the way that you speak? Um, is it your values that like, maybe it's a, an alignment with other people's values in a different kind of world or different according to your competitors, right? Um, what makes you unique? And I think that that's one I guess, pricing strategy, because I don't think a pricing strategy is how cheap can I go? It's how can I add more value and charge accordingly? The next thing that I want to share in this regard, and I want you guys to screenshot this because this changed my business. I understood this um, before I read it in the book, $100 million offers. This is from the book, $100 million offers. Even if you don't charge high ticket, this graph Will, will change your business when you understand it. So I'm just gonna walk through it because I've seen this in my life. So when you raise your price, right? On the right side, when the price goes up, the emotional investment goes up, your perceived value goes up, the results of your clients goes up because you actually get to work with better people. The demandingness, right? Oh, I should have flipped that. So then, <laughs> okay. When you have a higher price, your clients become less demanding. That, that's an interesting thing that a lot of people might not realize happens. They, they need less from you. And then of course, like revenue for fulfillment per customer goes up too. So you can spend more money to help your clients because you're charging them more money and you have more budget for it. Um, on the bottom, your business, your profit will go up, of course, obviously. Your perceived value of self, I thought this was an interesting one, goes up and it's true. Now this is where there's there can be an incongruence. If you don't do the inner work to believe that you are worth more money, this is gonna feel really hard for you. 
Um, and that's why we do the inner work, right? That we believe that we have the skill set and the experience and the tools and the processes for our clients or our customers to get them a transformation and give them a lot of value. But behind that is you, right? The entrepreneur, the person thinking, the person delivering. And so you have to see your own mind as valuable. And what's interesting is when you start to do that, when your actions change, right? For a lot of you guys, you study, you listen to podcasts, you read books, you come to places like this where you're making yourself more valuable, which is part of it. But if we are fueled with the whole inside that you're not good enough, and that's why you read, instead of seeing it like an investment that you're making even more valuable, if you're trying to fill a hole that can never be filled with self-worth, right? Self-worth is different than marketplace value. It is a spiral. And this is where we compare. This is where we feel like we're never good enough. And we don't actually build our business. We're like in endless learning, right? We're like always finding the next thing that's missing, but we're not taking any action because something in us is flawed. That's the belief. Um, the big, but the big leap is really good at addressing this if you want a resource. <laughs> um, so part of our work is to one, make our, our skill sets more valuable to the marketplace and to add a lot more value to our clients and customers. But the second part of this is like believing that right? That I am a valuable person. Um, Dan Kennedy says that we assign our, like, or we appoint ourselves, right? No one's going to come from the, this, like, um, this judgment bar of entrepreneurs and say, okay, you are now worthy to charge this much. Good job. <laughs> it doesn't happen, right? We appoint ourselves. And so we have to do the inner work to match what we're also learning so that when we say a price, it feels really good and aligned for us to say it. Um, the next piece that he shares is like the perception of impact, right? That even if this isn't psychologically sound, this is what we believe, right? If it costs that much, it must be awesome. And we want our clients to believe that <laughs> because we want them to engage in the process to actually get the results. And so when we, when we raise our prices, people expect and just perceive that it's more valuable, which is beneficial to you. Um, service levels, like we talked about, when you have more cash flow, you can provide more for your clients. Um, and then this is not super relevant to us, the sales team conviction, but I would say you, like you are the sales team, right? And when you have this price point where you're excited and you're, um, you see the transformation and you see what you can provide and the value that they're going to get, hopefully you feel more convicted in the sales process, whether this is on a sales page or on a consult or however you're selling. And so I would definitely like, even just look at yourself. This is how I did it first. I was like, as a client, it's, this is how I am. When things are more expensive, I show up more. How many free downloads do I have sitting in my inbox from the years, right? Versus the things that have changed my life the most are the things that I paid the most for. Um, the thing, the results that I got by far, the results that I've gotten for myself have come from bigger investments because it, I work the process, right? I'm there, I'm committed, I'm focused, um, it's just interesting. So I would spend some time, like if you want screenshot this and study it, but to me, this has to come from your belief that like your best clients want to pay a higher price. So this, I want to put this in context because even though I love this graph, it doesn't really like mean anything. If you don't also believe in people and their power and their ability to create money to pay the higher price. And, um, I think that that comes on the tail end of a lot of belief work, right? That people want to pay your prices, that people are excited to invest in themselves. Why wouldn't you believe that, right? It's interesting. Sometimes we have beliefs that it's like, that does not serve at all. Of course, I want to believe in people and their power. Of course, I want to believe that people want what I have to sell. But are you consciously believing that on a day-to-day -day basis, right? You could write that little, little thought down. Like People want what I have. <laughs> people want to pay for what I have. And that feels light, and empowering that I want to market, I want to reach out, I want to sell. Um, and that all starts on the internal, right? This whole conversation, even though we're talking about perception, which is hard to control, we can maybe help them choose to believe some things with our content and pricing and things like that. Um, but I think for you, it's like, how can I provide more value so that I can charge more and it makes sense? How can I see my mind and my skills as very valuable for people and honor my time accordingly and talk about it accordingly, which changes how people perceive us, right? And then we get to 
engage with and enjoy that virtuous versus vicious cycle of price, right? When you raise your prices, you get to enjoy the benefits of that, which is better clients, obviously making more money, um, less demanding people. And you're able to give your best, right? Because you're not always trying to hustle for money. You have money coming in. You have that freedom of thought to innovate and to create more value. The last thing I'm going to talk about before I open up um, for coaching and questions is the idea of like divine fluctuations, this has deeply served me as well. So I'm going to um, share my screen one more time because this is how I think about it. Take your screenshot now. I'm going to get rid of this. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. Um, so the fluctuations are like the stock market, right? Like <laughs> this is how our businesses sometimes go. The ideal is less of the big dips, right? But your income, because just the nature of our business, right? It goes up and down. Um and we can attach a lot of meaning to this. And what I wanna offer is that this is where these dips is where you learn like the lessons that get you to the higher income. That doesn't look like, it. okay. Imagine it tilting more up because <laughs> hopefully it's growth over a lifetime, right? Um, but what happens is when we, when we get it in a dip, we have a choice to make. You can make it mean that you're a failure or you can make it mean that there's an opportunity to learn something here. My A lot of the offers and just how I run my business, the decisions I've made in the low times allowed me to provide higher level, levels of service or innovate new offers that like made me bounce up. I also know this is more of like a personal thing, not necessarily a business thing. There's some been some times in my life where less clients has been a blessing to me in the form of like, I needed more time. I remember in last October, I was just talking to my husband about this because last October, I don't know if you guys are in my world then, I got mono, two of my kids got strep throat and we had a stomach bug at our house all in the same, same month. And it was very difficult. But what's interesting is my client load was kind of low at that time. I think I had like four one-on-one -on -one clients. And anyway, it was just like a different phase. It felt and at first I was judging it, like what's wrong? Why isn't my business booming? Why, you know, why am I not hit, hitting new income ceilings or whatever? And then we got slammed with all the sickness and I said, you know, there's something to that. And so I like to think of it like divine fluctuations where sometimes it's almost like a protection. This can look a lot of different ways for you guys, but sometimes it's, it's useful to think about that, right? Like, hmm, maybe I need this time to rest. Maybe I need this time to make my offer better or to improve my skill set. It's not always about money, right? It's not always about our revenue going up or our income going up. Like there's there's profound things that can happen in those divine fluctuations. And that helps me um, think through. The other thing that I often think through as well is like, what are my clients going through to be prepared for my work together? If If we're here, what's going on in their life that they're gonna make a decision to hire me here, right? Where they like come into my world. It puts things in perspective and, and it lets you loosen your grip so that you don't always may make it mean something is wrong. I think is the big point that I want to drive home. It doesn't always mean something is wrong if your revenue has dipped. I think we can get caught up in that so easily. So one of the things that you've heard before is like that neutral observer, right? When you're watching your revenue and it's like, and you're in a lower income period, one, is there anything in your business model that can be changed so that you don't hit this income low again? Um, which is interesting. Can you add in recurring revenue? Can you, when did you stop marketing or selling that this is like what you're experiencing now, right? I, in my business, I know this is kind of an interesting, I don't even know if this is actually true, but this is helpful to think about. I have a three month lag is how I picture it, right? So whatever results I'm experiencing in my business right now, it's like, I can think my efforts and actions and beliefs from three months ago is what, and sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter, but like, um, for the most part, when, when I'm taking action now, I'm trusting that it's going to pay off in the coming months that, that reduces the need for instant gratification. And I can trust people's process as they're creating the money to work with me, believing in their time, believing in their ability to make a positive decision. Right. Um, so I like to think of it like a three month thing. It serves me because then I just keep taking the actions until the, re the rewards come in three months. Instead of making it need to work right now and feeling frustrated and lack, 
I trust that it's coming. And then when the fluctuations happen, I can stay committed to my long-term goals, okay? All right, I wanna open it up. We talked about a, a few different things, but all of it is valid. So if anything came up for you in the, in the, in the realm of one, believing in people and their power and able to create the money to work with you, um, the feelings about debt, um, the feelings about timing and, and trusting that people when they're ready will hire you, um, the virtuous cycle of like pricing high ticket, anything is on the table. Um, and yeah, I just wanna open it up to answer questions or for coaching. And you can just, whoever wants to go on first. I would love to. All right. <laughs> if anybody else doesn't. Yeah, um, no, go for it. Yeah, so I've, um, as you know, I think we've talked about this before, I'm doing my group um, at the moment and it's, I've raised the price quite a lot since the last time. Um, and there's more people in it. And I'm just fine. It's as if I'm doing it for the first time. It's only my third time doing the group, but it, in yeah. my head, it's literally like I'm leaving every single session just absolutely doubting myself, doubting that they are getting value, doubting that I'm coaching well enough, like well enough. Mm -hmm. um, and what you were saying really resonated with me about like, about using the doubt to be like, okay, how can I improve this? Like, what is it they need? what could I be doing more of or how can I explain this to them differently? And I think I am doing that as I go, but it's like my brain just keeps like, it's like I just run over and over the, the sessions in my head and be like, oh, like they don't understand it like this. Or, you know, if, if say someone is, um, say pushing back, it sounds really negative, but you know, like kind of. Yes, Resist um, like resistant to the coaching. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like my brain is into like, oh no, like I'm a terrible coach. This isn't, they're not. And it eats way because with my one-on-ones, I never feel like that. I feel really kind of secure and confident in it. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of it is kind of fear of rejection from a big group because it's like there's 20 of them in the group that I'm like, oh, they're all going to like think I'm, I mean, you were saying as well about like intent. I definitely have a thought that like I'm this money grabbing like person yeah. that's like tricked them all into this group and now they're all going to realize that I'm this fraudster. Like, so there's definitely that not understanding that my intent is to really help them. <laughs> yeah. So is any of that mind chatter true? I, well, I worry that it's true that I, I'm not, that they're not going to get something from it. Okay, let's do that one. Okay. There's probably <laughs> some intelligence there. I think it might be interesting to kind of dig in a little bit. But is it absolutely true that they're not getting something from the group? Is that always and absolutely true? Well, I can never know that. And a few of them have said, like, this has been really helpful. Mm -hmm. Like, I've been using this tool and it's been really helping me. So there is evidence of the contrary. It's just, I guess I'm like pulling out specific people that maybe have said that like, oh, they've not been doing, using this tool or they've, they've not really been making time to do the work. Yep. And is then that I'm on using you? it as like, no. What can you help them with? <laughs> like what kinds of content can you create or even just an email? Yeah. Do you onboard them? What does that mean, Sally? Like when they join your world, like, do you tell them like, this is how you're going to get the most out of it. This is how it works. Yeah. So it's only for 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. um, so like at the start of every week, I send an email out saying like, this is what's happening this week. Mm -hmm. um, we're in a Facebook group and I post in there almost daily with like little things. I'm like, oh, this, like, think about this with this type of thoughts or like today I did like a summary of all the tools that we've learned so far yeah just because it yes last night one of the because I do like monthly one-on-ones with them as well just for half an hour and one of the the girls I was coaching was like oh I'm, what what tool is that again I'm confused between these two tools so I was like did that today like I broke, did a little breakdown of the the different tools so I am definitely like you said using it to be proactive yeah Maybe I just need to expect that my brain is going to be being a dick to me about this. Yes, no, that's very true. <laughs> negativity bias is really real, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You could have the most amazing session and your brain's still going to be like, but remember that like weird, awkward thing that you said to Susan? Yeah, that's what my brain's doing. And it's just like, you know, I hear that. Like you just, you neutralize it. Like I hear that. Yeah, maybe. But guess who's thinking about it the most? Not them, you. I promise. Yeah. 
your clients think way less about your group than you do yeah yeah because it's like it's like you said about the the transformation I can't control that transformation so you like getting confident on you delivering the transformation I think that's where I get stuck because some of them are going to come some of them aren't coming to all the sessions or using my online course or using the tools and I can't make them do that and then I fear that they're going to think oh it wasn't worth the money but it's like you said like well that's kind of not my job but no so what I like I like to think through like how can I support them right like on their their problems like that's one of the reasons that I do live calls is because I just know the statistics for courses right like most people actually don't look at the courses they buy (laughs) Um, yeah and so I innovated that way. Um, I think that you are already innovating, like sending them the, like a recap of the tools and inviting them and reminding them. But as, at a certain point, there's going to be some people that never come to the live calls or they come and they still don't get anything out of it. There's going to be a percentage. Yeah, and that's, that's okay. you get to What story <laughs> do you want to tell about that? Yeah. Yeah, like that, that that's normal and that that's okay. And I think that because sometimes I've been, I felt like, have I, am I trying to fit too much into 12 weeks? Like, do I need to make the program longer? Like, how, am I, is it a bit overwhelming? And I think maybe rather than spiraling in that anxiety, it's, it's like you said, it's looking at it from, okay, how could I support them more? How mm-hmm. could I make this better? And kind of trust myself to work out those answers without, making it mean that I'm a scammer or a robber that's like <laughs> yeah. yeah, doing them a disservice. Right. Because what you always have to think about, I'm going to draw something that's been really helpful. I'm, I, if you've f- studied statistics, like even if you haven't, don't freak out because I'm not a super big math person, but I did take one stats class in college <laughs> and there's the bell mm-hmm. curve, right? And standard deviations and all that crap. And um we tend to focus on these clients a lot, the ones that don't mm. apply, but like, isn't it just as valid to look at these clients and say, well, look, my program, and this is this is where people get in their heads because what do coaches and marketers market? They market this. They don't market mm. their, their clients that are on the bottom of the bell curve. But we as coaches, especially for you, Rebecca, like you believe in possibility. This is what's possible mm. if you do the work, if you apply the tools, if you keep going. It's not yeah. a scam. You are, you are optimistic. You have tools that allow that to actually be a possibility for them. But it's up to them to take the leap and actually apply what you, you teach. And if they don't, they're going to probably stay at the bottom of the bell curve, right? And this is why um, I think even check-ins or like you have that one-on-one call with them. You could ask them, so are you caught up on the content? How's it going? What do you think about this tool? And it might be really interesting to just hear their feedback because I would guess the people who are not getting the amazing results probably aren't very tuned in or engaged. And that's not yeah, amazing. yeah, because that was like I did a group call last night and like there was this girl that was like being a bit like um, like pushing back on things and she was saying like she was at one point she was like, I just feel really overwhelmed at the moment and like, like I'm not making time to do the the work and like someone else in the group like unmuted and was like you should definitely do like the processing emotions tool it's like been amazing for me and she was really like cheering around to do it and I, d- I did kind of think like that is clear to see that like there are people here that I because I said to her like oh have you tried processing the emotion like mm-hmm. we discussed and she said no so it's like okay so like you know you're not doing it and then there's people that are doing it and like I didn't create either of them it was right. their own brains like it's not and I think I've been taking credit like, oh, I'm the one that's created this transformation or I'm not creating it. Whereas I'm not like, I'm just the facilitator and they get to do it or not do it. Right. That's the, it's coaching is just a tool. Our courses, yeah. our content is just a tool. They can pick it up and use it or not. Now I think great coaches and great entrepreneurs think through without making it mean anything about you. This is the difference. How can I help those people that don't pick up the tool? What would inspire them to pick up the tool? What would allow them to feel like this can work Mm. for you? And that's like the higher level thinking that I think will make you exceptional. Um, Most people don't 
if you just look at our industry in general, you know, it's like, here's a course. Do you get checked in on? No. Um, like there's not a lot of follow-up, but like if you can follow up, if you can ask personalized questions, one of the things I shared a few weeks ago is like something that I'm doing for the, the matrix is like following up with people who haven't come in a while. Cause I know statistically I've started to study you guys, the people who get the best results are their own business. Like they have their own business and they show up to the live calls. <laughs> like those are the people that are performing the best. So it's not an accident that I want them to be on the live calls. That's how they're going to get my help the most. So Rebecca, you yeah. might do something like that. Like start looking who's getting the best results. Oh, they actually get coaching. They ask questions and they apply what I teach them. Mm. How can I get more people to do that? How can I incentivize people to come to the calls? How can I incentivize people to actually try emotional processing? Yeah. Yeah. I came in as you were saying that my brain was just going back to like, yeah, but I probably, when they come on the calls, I probably don't coach them well enough, but like, <laughs> I guess that's just, I, I'll never know if I'm doing it well enough. Like I literally wouldn't even know where to begin to answer that question. I think it depends on what, yeah. I mean, I mean that that's like a, a very technical question, I think on level of coaching and how good you, of you, you are as a coach which I think it depends on what your definition of a, of a good coach is. And I'm curious what yours is. What is a good coach? Someone that like holds space, helps them see their mind, inspires them to like consider new perspectives. And what's a bad coach in your mind? Someone that like jumps in the pool with them. Um, I don't know, just like agrees with all the thoughts. <laughs> do you do that? No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I do just kind of need to like, that thought has always been there. It's going to just keep coming up sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And notice that it's a thought. It's not true. Yeah. One of the things that I think can be beneficial is that it'll keep you on your toes. Like, I don't think it's bad to have like a healthy dose of self-doubt because it makes you... Yeah good you know um and not arrogant because i think it yeah. blocks our ability to coach as well um but if you have that that little bit i would say more of like i wouldn't even call it doubt a standard of excellence that you want to mm. adhere to use that word don't use doubt like i have a standard that i want to hit mm. that will i think be more inspiring than like i just don't know if i'm a good coach <laughs> you know what i mean yeah yeah no that makes sense Okay. Thank you. And then, yeah, before um, one last thought, it's from a prosperous coach. Um, I don't know if it was Rich Litvin or Steve Chandler, but they said the lamppost theory or the lamppost analogy that like, if a person came out of work every day and talked to a lamppost about their thing, their thing, their thinking and their feelings and what they wanted and what they were frustrated with, they would get value from talking to a lamppost. Yeah. You are <laughs> way more trained, not that we want to be the lamppost, but like you are infinitely more value than just a lamppost, right? And so yeah. you have good intent, you have the training, you have experience. Now it's like, you can become better, but just because yeah. there's a standard of excellence, not because you're bad. Yeah, like even as you said that, like I thought, in my, I know from my session that there are moments throughout the sessions where I'm like, that was so good, like, bam, that was that was like, a, and everyone, like that was a good moment. And then there's moments that are just like, not, and I'm like, not every moment's going to be like, and I think that's it. It's kind of reminding myself, like, there's not going to be breakthroughs and like, yes. you know, things like that every second of the, like, it, that's not yeah. realistic. Like even the coaches that I look up to don't yeah. have that. And I, yeah. It, yeah, it's like, I'm. Yeah. Because it's a dance. Okay. It depends on the client. Yeah. I like, I, or ping pong is one of the examples that I like to use. Like mm. I can coach really well if people know how to play ping pong with me. I have a really hard time coaching mm. people who don't know how to be coached. It's a little harder. Yeah. For me. Um, but I know other coaches who are brilliant at that, you know, that they're yeah. brand new to thought work. Um, so that's just interesting to know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Rebecca. Oh, thank you. Or, yeah. Anyone else want to jump on the hot seat for some coaching? While you guys are deciding, I, oh, who's, who just started talking? This is Cindy. Hi, Cindy. 
I don't know how to ever get my like picture to show, but um, I need coaching on some on pricing. Yeah, so I'm about to put out um this this book um yeah. next month. Yes, so I did about that. Um, oh, there we go. Thank you. Yeah. So now I'm like, um, there's, there's a lot of different, um, ideas and, um, ways that people decide on their pricing for their books. Mm-hmm. And there's always this big discrepancy between, um, self-published books and public, um, traditionally published books. And, um, Part of that is, of course, the 70-30 cut that authors get from uh, Amazon. So if you keep it under $9.99, then you get 70%. If you go above $9.99, then you get 30%. So $9.99 I've used for like um, book box sets and things like that. Um, Part of the pricing is you give your first book in a series away free to kind of, or for 99 cents or something. Um, Right now, 99 cents isn't considered a good place to be. It's either if you're wide, which is Amazon plus Barnes and Noble and everywhere else, Mm -hmm. then it's good to have like a free leader. Yeah. Um, So I've always priced my books for mass consumption. Mm -hmm. So like $3.99 or $4.99. So I sell a bunch of books at those prices because they're inexpensive, but hearing you talk. And also I've always really admired this um, self-published author who writes young adult, except for it's quite schmexy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So her, as well as my, um, the people, when I pulled my people, um, they're like 24 to 80 or something like that is my big hunk of people. But of course, teens don't typically go in and do those kind of surveys. So she, um, she prices hers at like 7.99. Like she doesn't have a free leader. She, um, and so I, I would see her before and I thought, wow, you know, and sometimes she puts her books at 9.99 and she does really, really well. And so I thought, well, would it be okay to, you know, for me to sell fewer books, which is really scary, but at a higher price point, you make much more. Um, I guess I'm afraid to price higher than 4.99. And that's what like makes me mad is that I feel like I can't price that my stuff can't be priced higher than four ninety nine. Yeah. Why can hers when mine can't? Yeah. And really, she is an anomaly, right? So most most young adult books are somewhere between three ninety nine and five ninety nine is where they're priced. And so there is some theory that you should kind of stay within that, mm-hmm. but there's always like, and I consider myself someone who has always been an anomaly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, then, okay. So how many books, let's say, let's pick a book. I don't know if you know your statistics off the top of your head. One that you sold for $3.99. How many books do you typically sell when you sell a $3.99? So before, so like um, with my watch trilogy, which is my, or my watched series, which is my best-selling series, I usually sell, sell somewhere around 50,000 books. Okay. So is it $3.99 for the set or $3.99 per book? $3.99 per book. Okay. The first one being free, typically. So, yeah. And you get about 50000 buying each book? Yeah. Okay. So let's say you raise it to nine ninety nine. And you got, I'm like so curious what this math is. (laughs) Like half the people to buy it. So obviously I know you don't make this 
but this is just for fun math. 399 times 50,000 is 199,500. And then 999 times, let's say half fall off is still more, 249,750. Huh. And we're assuming half are gonna fall off. Yeah. It's so scary since I haven't been publishing anything. I'm like, what if people don't, like, what if I raise my prices and then people are like, who is she? <laughs> I don't remember her. Yeah. And then the other part of me is like, um, another part of me is like, who does she think she is? All the yeah. other books are this price. And, um, you know, my, my tried and true people who, uh, will be like $9.99 <laughs> or $7.99. I don't know. She's not worth that. Yeah. You know? So when we hear voices in our head, it's us. <laughs> I know. So you're not thinking, they think, who does she think she is? What you're thinking is, who do I think I am? Which you can, like we talked about in this call, you, you self-appoint you. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be and there's no right, there's no moral answer here. I'm not like poking. It's just like, what do you want? It, to feel, it kind of feels like that though, to me a little bit. It's kind of like, I don't know. Because when I first started, like I said, like I just gave everything away free because I had this, like, you should give what you know, mm-hmm. you should help people. Yeah, you I don't do disagree. And, um, I didn't, of course, see this idea of giving a lot away free, but at the same time, um, you know, giving some free and some paid because it's worth it, you know? So the other thing I'm going to ask you is, do you have an email list? Yeah, I have like 50,000 on my email list. Mm -hmm. Do you actively write to them? No. Not for the last three years. I was, but for the past three years, I really haven't. Maybe I've sent out. I've been like, oh, I should send one out. And then I yeah. send one out. But... Do you still have access to that database? Oh, yeah. You I still write... pay for it. I pay for it every year, yeah. you know? <laughs> yes, you should write. You should start writing some emails because one of the things that might be really powerful, I mean, this is might be beyond the scope of what you're asking, but like having a little insert in the back of your book that's like, Hey, get this free secret chapter if it's not in the book. And then you have an Ascension model where you sell other books to them in that email sequence. And then you can price whatever you want. And it's the back end that you make money. I guess the reason that came to me is because it doesn't matter what you choose to price. You can make money however you want to. You just need to make a powerful decision. I know. I don't want to do it. (laughs) Powerful decisions mean to cut off something and it doesn't feel good. It doesn't. Yeah. You can't mess this up. That's a thought that really helps me. <laughs> you can't mess this up. You just gotta decide. <laughs> and if I'm you, I'm just gonna be really honest. I would pick the higher price. That's what I would do. And then do the inner work that you believe in it and you're excited about it when you sell it. Well, and I feel like I wouldn't be feeling that way if I shouldn't, but it's so scary. I mean, but do you want a- to? I do want to. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay that it feels scary. Yeah. We're talking about a difference of what? $6. Yeah. You're not robbing them. You're not causing them any harm, but now you get to market a little bit. Why is this book so different than the others in that you not so different, but why is it compelling? Why do they want to buy it for $9.99 or whatever you choose? Well, and the thing is too, it's like the second to last book in a 12 book series. And so then I feel like, oh, all the other ones are $4.99. It's like this big tumbling ball, you know? And then I think, should I wait until I start, I put out my next series that I've been working on and switch those or, but why would my books that I have out now be less value than the books that I'm putting out now. 
And typically, correct me if I'm wrong, but newer books are priced higher than the older books, right? Yeah, yeah, they are. I mean, at least you can get a sale on books, which is something we can't really do unless we Mm -hmm. like go in and change, really actually change the price. We can't say like, you go into a bookstore and it's 30% off or 50% off. We actually change the price. So we could say that, I guess, in our marketing. But if you walk into Barnes and Noble and get my book, it will always be regular price. So it's a little bit different than traditional mm-hmm. books. Um although my books are in bookstores, so, but they're never on sale, but those are print too. Mm-hmm. So like with ebook, you know, of course I'm talking about ebooks. I should have said that they're all ebooks. They're not uh, all my print books are, are of course, you know, 16 or $17. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think there's a few powerful thoughts that you take away. One, I can't mess this up. Keep saying okay. that to yourself. Okay. I can't, I can't mess this up. And then the other one that I really believe, you have a fan base. Yeah. Right? People, the people who want this are going to buy it no matter what the price is. You're right. That's true. Can't mess this up. Can't mess this up. Can't mess this up. <laughs> Go forward. And it, yes. I have to like make that decision like now because I have to get the book approved by Amazon and stuff. And so yes. it all has to happen. Like everything is happening like scarily fast, which yeah. is exciting because it's all happening because yes. I started listening to you. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> no, not because started you're, doing the work. you're acting, you're taking action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because you're awesome. The other thing I'm going to challenge you to do is like maybe write an email in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I think that if you're an author, I mean, I don't know, maybe you'd enjoy writing emails too. Might be a different kind of writing for you. Um, it is. I never know what to say to these people. So one of my friends said, I just want them to love me. That's why I write them. I just write them to make them love me. A relationship is real. Like, uh, there's only so much we can say without it being personal, right? Where I let you in so that we can have a relationship. That's what, to me, what you would be doing. You'd be developing a relationship with your readers. Yeah. Cool. Thank okay. you so much. I'd for you, Cindy. Make that yep. powerful decision. <laughs> okay. Can't mess it up. Thank you. All right. Anyone else want to come on the hot seat? Anyone feeling it? Questions, coaching, clarification, all good. Hey, Amber. Hey, Annette. How are you? Good. Um, So I just, I love that phrase, like seeing people in their power. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I really struggle with that. Um, And just like an example, um, my daughter is getting ready to graduate um, nursing school and she's super stressed about like the economy right now and just um like the outlook from what she's hearing and we were just talking about this um did we talk about this last I mean I think you talked about this with Alvin last week just about like um like the price of groceries and the price of gas right like yeah what is so much this week just how much that's the topic of conversation with everybody and um and so they're you're just kind of surrounded by it right And like, I get that I'm not, I don't get caught up in that stuff. Really. I don't mm-hmm. stress about it too much anymore. <laughs> yeah. But I have a really hard time. Like, I think like when I talk to my daughter, like helping her and like, I just know how much work I've done. And I'm like, it's not the same thing she has to do. And the same thing my clients have to do. Like, it just seems like so much work to even get there of like, and I think she's also, you know, in a situation she's been living with some family and, um, they're very like the things that she's been told is like, well, you need to be really realistic about things, right? Like you're not going to be able to like 
afford to a house in, you know, this place or, you know, it's just interesting. And I'm like, I've kind of told her like, you don't, you don't know what's possible. They don't know what's possible, yeah. you know? Yeah. But it's so everything, all of that seems so like, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to say vague, but like not concrete. Right. It's just like, the like, <laughs> that's a lot of the stuff we talk about. Right. Yeah. And so just in like, talking with clients or the, I, th- I feel like the money thing I had a client um, last year and she was very kind of hung up on the money stuff. And I just remember thinking like, well, I get it for me, but I don't know how to help other people like really grasp that. Yeah. So I think just shifting people's thoughts in marketing is very similar to what we do on a call with our clients, right? It's just, it's a one, it's almost, it's still two way, but it's one-sided, but are you talking about with your daughter specifically or in your content? Oh, like with, like with my daughter specifically, because I feel like if I could like, um, and maybe I'm like in the pool with her of like, yeah, that this yes. is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I feel it's like- fair. You, you care about, obviously <laughs> about your daughter. Yeah. But what's going to yeah. serve her right now? Well, I felt like the things I tell her are very like, um, you know, positive and good many mindset and stuff, but mm-hmm. kind of down like, yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's possible. Like, so. Yeah. So this is something that's interesting is when, before I was introduced to all this work, I wanted people to commiserate with me when I would complain. Mm-hmm it felt good to be like, it's so hard. And other people like, yeah, it's so hard. I don't surround myself with people like that anymore. I don't want people to commiserate. I want people to be like, you can do this. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so when you see, because I want people to remind me of the power that I have to create something different, something that I want as her mom, I know that you don't want her to just be like, well, the economy sucks. So guess that's it yeah you wanted to be a powerful creator and powerful creators just ask different questions like how could I afford a house what would I what would I need to be and what would I need to do to make that happen you know mm-hmm. so like the next time she's like I don't know if I'm gonna be able to buy a house I'm like, well how could you what would you need to do to buy a house do you know yeah. Yeah. And I guess the same would go for clients too. Like yes. just really getting them kind of like, I don't remember when you brought this up before, but like something about like, okay, how would you not get a house? Like yes, reverse with- thinking is very powerful, <laughs> right? I was thinking that's what it's called. I think that like, I was thinking about that. I'm like, that's so powerful because you, you can know the absolutely way to like not get it. And then you just do the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. That's helpful. I don't know why that conversation intimidates me so much about, and I, I also kind of worry like with my kids, like, um, cause I grew up with a mom that was just like the most frugal person I've ever known. Yeah. And, um, and so I kind of went the opposite direction of like, I mean, I think I was that way, but I kind of saw how much that stressed her out. Right. And I'm like, I don't really want to stress out over having to throw away a half gallon of sour milk or something. I was like, so, and, um, and so it's been good, but I almost worry that I'm like too like abundant sometimes of like, Oh, it doesn't matter. Like it's all good. Like, um, and not, I don't know. Is I don't know that there's like, I know there's not a right way to be, but like balancing that of like, maybe being a little realistic, right. But also staying in that possibility. This I mean, is really, yeah, this is a really complex question because something that we talked about was like the paradigms, right. Mm-hmm. I'm really mindful that uh, people don't always live in the paradigm that I want to live in where I believe that I can create any ma- amount of money that I want. Mm-hmm. Not everyone actually believes that. And so if I'm talking to someone who wants a regular job, right? That's my, like, and they don't want to take on side hustles and they don't want to invest or learn skill sets. And they're good with a predictable income. I would talk to them differently than I talk to you guys who live in an, uh, like an unlimited business model. You can make as much money as you want. 
But I think one of the things that you are already asking is like, what do you want to get out of this conversation with your daughter? What do you want to help her do? What, what is the end goal here? Um, I think I don't want her to feel like a victim to her circumstances. Yeah. Like that if, if she wants something, she really can, like if she really wants it. <laughs> it's she true. She, you know right? she can because she's a capable yeah. woman. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so interesting because growing up, she was the one that was just super starting little businesses all the time and mm -hmm. doing all that. She kind of, when she graduated high school, kind of dipped her feet into that a little bit and then got terrified that just like, nope, this is too hard. This is too vulnerable. It's, you know, which and we can all relate to, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to college and I'm going to mm -hmm. you know, do this, have a normal job. Yeah. And so, great because I know that felt really safe to her yeah. now during the end of it and she's like I don't I don't know like I don't know if this is what I want to do my whole life but I'm like well that's okay you're not stuck in it you know but it's just a really interesting conversation of you know I know she has that kind of fire in her and so mm -hmm. it's just and but that feels really safe just to have a paycheck and you know like mm -hmm. a and and that's great I think that's great for this time of life for her but also I guess just helping her believe yeah that, that they're that it's possible and that she doesn't have to, you know, stick with one thing the rest of her life. And so do you guess, believe yeah. that in your core? Do you believe that? For her? For you? For me? <laughs> yes, I'm getting there. And I know that um, I, I think that kind of scares me because I look at my journey and just like, yeah, it just doesn't happen. Like it's, you know, like it takes work and mm -hmm. it takes um, consistency and persistence, but, um, if you do the work, it, you get the results too. So, um, I think I do believe that. Yeah. So just a matter of what you really want, right? Like, right. Like what you really want to create. Yeah. So. But then also feeling the desire, right? Yeah. I don't think you're just born with this raging fire of belief and vision and possibility. I think you nurture it. And right now she has this little tiny flame and she's scared. Do you want to help her grow the fire? Even if, even if she chooses to be a nurse in a predictable, whatever, mm -hmm. but it, she can still get what she wants. Do you want to help nurture that belief? And I think you do. She needs, she needs help, right? We all do. We all need help believing. It might be time to share a little bit of your belief. I think what's, what feels scary is like, when you tell someone or infer to someone that they're not a victim, <laughs> <laughs> it can feel really hard, especially yeah. the people that we love, you know, because basically you are invalid. It feels invalidating. Yeah. There's an art to it. Yeah. And I think helping like her or clients or whatever, um, get to the concrete about it because I feel like a lot of times when I talk to her it's like well like yeah if in the future if you want to do that like if you want to you know and it's all very like kind of vague and in the future and someday you know but like literally like if you today wanted to like take action on something mm -hmm. or you know like just making it possible now not someday when you're like a different person or like to be that person now, I guess. Yeah. Someday feels really safe for all of us, right? When we think about our dreams in the future, it's like, yeah, of course it's going to happen. It feels so safe out there. <laughs> when we bring it into the present moment. That's when it feels a lot riskier. So most people never do it, right? Um, there's a study about from high schoolers and most of them think they're going to be millionaires. I, can't, I couldn't believe the percentage. It was like 70% said, yeah, I think I'm going to be a millionaire one day. Wow. And it's like, okay, you are all in for a shock <laughs> because it's, it's so easy to dream one day. And so part of your work with your daughter might be helping her, like, what can you do now? You know, bringing mm -hmm. it to the present moment. If she wants, she has to be open to that kind of conversation. Yeah. Think she's more open to it. Than <laughs> you're the per yeah. You're the perfect mom for the conversation. Think about all the things that you've had to overcome in your own beliefs to yeah. do what you do. Yeah. That's true. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. But talk to her. Like, we, I mean, you talked about people in their power. Talk to your daughter in her power. 
Yeah, I feel like if I could get on top of it with her, like if I could really mm-hmm. do that with her, it would help me a lot with, with the clients and like not being in the pool with them either. Cause yeah. Anyway, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> okay. Any final questions or thoughts? Coaching clarification. All right, then you guys have a beautiful Monday. I will see you next week on the same day, same time, Monday at 10 a.m. Okay, have a great day. Hey, I wanted to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this podcast and for being a part of my community. I appreciate you doing the work with me. Um, and I know that the work we do is is unique, right? Blending the business work with the inner work is a special place. And so I want to invite you to share the matrix with a friend that's a coach or a solopreneur who would benefit from this type of work, that the, the work that you and I do in the matrix. My business grows through word of mouth, so I'd really appreciate if you spread the good word um, to someone that came to your mind through this episode. And I appreciate you and I'll see you soon.